Hello and welcome to The Stockout. Happy Friday. Uh, the Stockout is your show at FreightWaves about CPG companies, supply chains, and CPG companies' supply chains. I'm your host, Mike Bowdendistel of FreightWaves. And today, um, I'm going to be taking you through uh, two uh, CPG companies that may go public. We, we learned, uh, got some more information about that this week. Those are the Honest Company. That's a, a company that was uh, founded by actress Jessica Alba and Impossible Foods, which I've talked about before, but I think uh, it really sort of plays into this whole theme of plant-based uh, substitution uh, for animal-based products. And also talk about two companies that um, have long been public that reported earnings this week to sort of kick off the earnings season, those being Pepsi and uh, L'Oreal. And if you're just finding your way here and wondering what a CPG is, maybe you were looking for a Dooner and took a wrong turn, CPG are uh, cons consumer packaged goods. Those are uh, consumable products and pretty much uh, whatever you would buy at a grocery store or a big box a retailer, things like food, beverages, cosmetics, um, personal care items, those type of, of things. But before I get into uh, those uh, companies, uh, a word from our sponsor, which is Echo Global Logistics, um, headquartered in downtown Chicago. Um, trust the experts at Echo Global Logistics for all your freight transportation and CPG shipping needs. Whether you are a Fortune 100 company, uh, Fortune 100 CPG company, or a specialty food manufacturer, Echo has, a, has solutions to fit your needs. With their dedicated team, as well as Echo Ship, a self-service shipping portal, allowing you to quote, book, ship, and track, Echo has you covered. Technology at your fingertips and experts by your side 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To find out how Echo can simplify your transportation management, please visit www.echo.com forward slash CPG. Uh, please do that today. So thanks to our uh, sponsor, Echo. And with that, um, I'll get into um, my topic of the week. The thing that I found most interesting in the CPG world this week was uh, an SEC filing that uh, came out from the Honest Company, which was a company that I was not familiar with, although asking around my you know, family, I probably should have been familiar with this. This was a company that started 10 years ago by actress Jessica Alba of Dark Angel fame. And I think in the Fantastic Four, she played Susan Storm. Um, so it was actually a, a, a filing, you know, not a not a SPAC. This is going to be a traditional IPO where they if, you know, SEC filing. And it was more personal than I think I've, I've read a, a, an SEC filing before. She sort of goes through, you know, why she started it. She you know, had, uh, you know, terrible you know, allergies as a kid. And, um, you know, that sort of came back to haunt her, um, you know, 10 years ago or so. And she became a, a mother at a baby shower. She got a product that, you know, gave her an allergic reaction. And, and she sort of set her on this entrepreneurial path to start a company that did not use the type of chemicals that would give one, uh, you know, those, those type of allergic reactions and started out just selling, you know, baby products, which are still, you know, the bulk of the revenue, sort of diapers and wipes, and then um, has since transitioned into both other categories of personal, you know, care products, as well as expanding the target demographic, which started out as, you know, women that were 25 to 35 and, um, you know, that were sort of, relatively, um, you know, upper income to afford, you know, more expensive, you know, products, but, you know, trying to expand upon that. And, you know, over the years, the company has had a lot of uh, what I would call ups and downs. But, um, you know, last year was was a great year. The, the revenue was up, 
you know, nicely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's about 300 million in, in, in revenue. I think it was up was 28% last year. So they just filed their S1, planning to go public. And I can take you through the bull case and then also some risks. And I think this is an important one to monitor, you know, even if you're someone that participates in the CPG industry through a much larger company, because it gets to the question of can a small startup, you know, sort of compete with these larger, you know, CPG companies. You think of those those categories that I mentioned and who else competes in those in those markets. There are a lot larger, a lot of the, the biggest CPG companies there are companies like Procter and Gamble, you know, Kimberly Clark, Unilever, um, you know, et cetera. But you know, in this um, in this SEC filing, um, you know, they went through a lot of things that I think you know could could make you you know more optimistic that this this company has a sort of room to grow. Um, and part of the reason they're going public is uh, for the additional capital, and sort of the, the plan is to quote spend to grow. So they're um, you know some of this, this, the strategy is you know they've built this loyal following. You know, Jessica Alba has I think they said 39 million followers and most of the marketing has been through social media just people who followed her and um you know they're planning to roll out a more professional more conventional um you know, advertising campaign the brand awareness uh by their estimate is only about 25 percent based on um you know surveys and uh you know this category th these companies have this company has built a very loyal product category with about 90 percent of the company's, you know, diaper buyers, which are the original product category, you know, ex, you know, interested in buying other things, um, and only about two percent of the revenue is outside of the U.S. So there's there's a number of, of ways where they, you know, think they can expand into adjacent into adjacent markets, and the segment um, is growing faster than most. And the, the segment that they're they're targeting specifically are, you know, quote unquote, better for you products, products that are you know natural materials that don't have chemicals, you know, those type of things. They they say that those are growing about sixteen percent. Um, you know, versus about two percent for the conventional, um, you know, large companies that are participating in those those markets, which two percent sounds about right, given um, you know those products in general shouldn't grow too much faster than the rate of population growth, which um, is is somewhere around there in the low in the low single digits. Um, it's worth pointing out that um, the company hired a CEO uh, you know, about three or four years ago. That runs the day-to-day -day operations. We can still see the influence of the founder in on their on their website. Um, they say uh, Jessica's you know favorites and and all those things. Very much sort of the public face of the organization to the consumer. But it is professionally run. Um, you know, as a CEO that came from a long career at Clorox, he was the COO of Clorox. So um, just one of those big companies that this company competes against either directly or indirectly, depending on your, on your perspective. Um, and, you know, look through his, his profile, looks like the sort of the real deal. And part of the reason they brought that CEO on was uh, to make this truly uh, a multi-channel um, company that, you know, omni-channel is a, is a big, uh, you know, phrase that's being, you know, used in transportation um, and logistics right now that these, you know, companies want to have, of course, uh, you know, presence in the store when you go into the store, but they also want to have a big Know, retail presence. Um, you know, this particular company, the Honest Company, they they do about thirty percent of the revenue from their own website, Honest, but um, and, and about fifty five percent in total, about forty five percent from people who um, go into retail stores, which is also gets to um, you know how this company can find an opportunity to expand because they have a uh, forty percent 
what's called alt commodity volume, ACV, which is an important metric in the CPG industry, which basically means that of the relevant retailers that you know, a, a potential customer would go to, this product is in about 40% of those stores by, by revenue. So they, they do uh, well with, um, with Target as their biggest you know, retail brand, re- retailer that, that carries them. Um, you know, also, uh, you know, Amazon would be the, the, the second, you know, going into that online you know, space. And then you know, they have a, a, a small presence with Costco, but that still, that leaves a lot of the big, you know, you know, retailers that, that they haven't touched. So there's a lot of ways, you know, for this company to, 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 to grow. Um, but, but it's probably the, the, the most compelling thing is just going into some of these other categories, you know, taking their existing customer base and, and, and sort of leveraging that, um, in addition to building the brand awareness with the big, Know, advertising, uh, you know, campaign. You know, the biggest risk that I see to this, um, you know, com- uh, company is, as I mentioned, it sort of at the outset, is that they they're competing against much larger companies, the Procter and Gamble's, the Kimberly Clark's, the Unilever's of the world. Those are companies that, um, you know, the honest company is never going to be able to compete on with price. It simply is never going to have the scale, and um, you know, it's probably never going to have the same, you know, degree of brand awareness. As, as, as those larger companies. So it is a little bit of an uphill uh, battle. Um, but I think this um, you know, IPO is going to be watched closely. This is, is one of the first um, that I can think of, at least the um, you know, sort of lifestyle brand, if you want to call it a lifestyle brand, and one that um, you know, the, the, the celebrity you know, founder um, you know, contributes a lot to it. Um, and it's also one that is you know, comeback story. Um, you know, th- this company I mentioned it has 300 million in in in, uh, in in sales. It also had about 300 million in sales a few years ago in 2016. So it has not been a straight shot up. It's been um, you know somewhat volatile and you know hampered by uh, you know some litigation over the years. And those lit- litigation complaints really went to the heart of what this company is supposedly all about, which you know making claims that. These products, you know, weren't as naturally as they were made out to be. They did have chemicals when they claimed that they did not. You know, those type of, of things. And then the third, um, you know, risk that I see, you know, a company's not yet profitable has not demonstrated uh, an ability to be profitable in the ten years that it's been out there. Now, that's not unusual for uh, a, a young company and a company that's investing, and it, it may be even um, you know, have a greater loss. You know, when they start spending more for for you know advertising and and marketing, but you know, nevertheless, the company did. You know, cut their loss uh, in the last year from a thirty million dollar decline to a fourteen million dollar, um, you know, uh, loss. So from thir- negative thirty one to negative fourteen. So still taking lots of steps in the steps in the right direction with that growing revenue. And you know, the the big improvement over the last uh, over the last year, I think, was probably the impetus for uh, you know deciding that now is the time to to take this company uh, you know public. It usually does take a few months for IPO to come to fruition. So this is a potential IPO. Um, you know, sometime uh, maybe this fall. So definitely one to definitely one to watch in the CPG space. The the honest company. The the other company that there was news about that may go public and is uh, Impossible Foods. Now Impossible Foods is one that I followed closely, and it was one of the first uh, you know stories that you know I wrote about for the stock out, and it was one that I think is just a real mega trend in the CPG space is the substitution of animal-based products for plant-based products. Um, you know, lots of motivation for that. Uh, you know, one of the biggest is uh, environmental concerns or people are concerned about animal wealth, uh, welfare. There are others that are, 
you know, just simply want to be, you know, healthier. Um, impossible is the one in the in the middle there on that graphic, the one that looks, in my view, the most like actual ground beef. I think it tastes the most like actual ground beef. So I think they're they're ahead with the um, you know, with the technology there. They have a formula that instead of using, you know, uh, animal-based meats, they're using things like you know, you know soybeans. Um, you know, some of the others use things like you know, pea protein. Uh, so um, the, the the companies are are growing you know quickly. Um, you know, in the past year, the um, the plant-based meat, uh, which they're trying to you know expand the definition of meat, grew about forty percent in in twenty twenty, and and that's you know in a strong year for meat, where where, where overall meat was up about twenty one percent, and Impossible's closest competitor. Um, was was in certain quarters was growing over 100 percent. You know, Beyond is their closest competitor, and they have expanded more into adjacent uh, things other than you know hamburger patties. There's things like you know the Beyond meatballs, and Beyond has done all these partnerships with retailers in addition to a lot of these fast food you know joints like McDonald's and Yum Brands. Yum Brands owns a portfolio of, of, of fast food you know, restaurants, so we're going to see a, a bigger presence in that. You know, coming later this year, but sort of the news out this week was that, uh, according to people familiar with the matter, Impossible could go public later this year, either uh, via a traditional IPO, you know, or a SPAC. Uh, and 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 there, I think they would get plenty of backing if they did a traditional, you know, IPO. Um, it's just a question of do they want to get it out quickly, which is one of the advantages that um, that SPACs, uh, you know, have to have to offer. Um, but they've they've taken a different approach than Beyond Meat, at least so far. It's not quite a, as as broad of a product category as what we've seen you know, with Beyond. But you know that could could change with the, with additional capital, you know, coming in potentially coming into the into the company um, that they could uh, you know expand to, um, to to other to other you know product categories. Um, some of the news out, outlets are saying this could be value. It could be a deal that's valued over ten billion dollars, up from uh, four billion in the two thousand twenty. Know, funding round. Um, if you look at where some the the, the main comp is, is is trading, which is beyond uh, ticker B Y N D. You know, I just pulled that up on uh, Coifin. Looks like it's trading about 15 times price to sales, which is uh, is is quite a quite a multiple. And um, so some investors are very bullish on that stock. There's also some that are you know certainly taking the other side of the trade. I think at one point the beyond had a 38 percent. A short interest, so it's almost as high where you think that you know Beyond could have been the next you know meme stock, uh, a la GameStop, um, because uh, you could get into a into a short squeeze. But um, so it's one I don't think that you know the market's necessarily you know figured out this 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 category. But what's clear is that demand for plant based meat is 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 improving quickly. The technology uh, for how this uh, tastes, looks, and feels is. Improving to the point where it's getting closer to being at, at, at parity, um, you know, with with traditional meats. And uh, believe it or not, uh, plant-based meats are now 2.7 percent of meat that is being purchased at uh, grocery stores, and that's pretty remarkable considering it was a it's a brand new category, and um, you know, a lot of people are either not aware of the products yet or have not yet uh, tried them. So those are two, uh, you know, CPG companies. I think to, you know, look forward to um, potentially investing in them, um, you know, later this year. You know, a couple that you can invest in right now are uh, L'Oreal and Pepsi. You know, both of those companies reported, you know, this week. And um, you know, fortunately for, for for me, they they mentioned their supply chain. Now, supply chains with CPG companies are are sometimes, um, you know, when they when they mention their supply chain, 
it's either in the context of you know something went wrong and this is why we didn't you know do what we thought we were going to do or we're going to improve our margins and we do that by you know from some you know nebulous uh, comments about uh, we're going to improve our supply chain. Um, but you know L'Oreal is you know was talking about their supply chain, but not really in the context of of making excuses because overall uh, companies performing you know amazingly amazingly well better than you would probably would, would expect. Um, so their revenue was actually up 10.2% year over year in the first quarter that they just announced, which is growing two and a half times the market growth rate of four percent. Now they're in a lot of different categories. That you know that's the the, the world's largest cosmetics uh, company. So it's not just, you know, makeup, it's, it's all, all manner of, um, you know, skincare and those things. And one of the, 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 the things that they mentioned as, as really helping them uh, in the quarter was, um, yes, their skincare products, which are up, you know, over 20%. And they attribute that in part, you know, not only have to having good products, but to customers that are concerned about mask me which my copy editor made me um, define what that is. That's mask acne as a result of wearing a mask. So that's um, actually helping L'Oreal's uh, you know, bottom line. And what's also helping L'Oreal's bottom line is their growth into China. China, their, their revenue is up 38%. And um, so L'Oreal's you know, shares are at you know, near an all-time high, sort of, you know, at, and the market's also you know, at, at, an, at an all-time high. Uh, but um, you know, this can be thought of as a play, not just on you know people you know coming out of their house and and buying more cosmetics um, as they go to parties, but also just on the emerging Chinese middle class. You know, people that have um, you know risen up are no longer at a subsistence level. They you know, have some discretionary income. I think this is you know you can make a good case that this is is, is one thing that's really going to benefit. Um, I think it's going to benefit from that um, with, with Chinese consumers having more you know just dis- disposable. You know, income, um, and uh, the CEO has gone as far as to say that he's expecting a global makeup party after as COVID uh, subsides. So, and, and sort of compares it to the roaring 1920s, where which was a, a, a boom year for things that were um, you know not uh, necessities, uh, including makeup. Um, and so, the support for this, it's it's hard to tell. You know, you know how consumers are going to behave in the in the coming months, in the coming year. Um, but looking at uh, some you know, countries where they um, have done a little bit better or a lot better with uh, COVID, Israel and, and, and China, I already talked about China, but you know, Israel, their uh, makeup grew 43% and um, the luxury you know, component of that grew 80% um, you know, year over year in the first quarter. Um, and and you know, Israel's pretty much you know, far along, I think, on vaccinations. I don't think they ever had, had it as, as, um, as bad as as, as here with, 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 with COVID, um, it is a smaller market, so it's a, a small market to necessarily extrapolate how you know, consumers are going to behave that way in other parts of the world. But I, I did, did think that was interesting. Um, as far as their uh, L'Oreal supply chain um, is, is going, um, when they talked about their supply chain in the U.S., it, it, it read you know, very much like a, uh, a roll call for a lot of the issues that we've been talking about on FreightWaves.com. They've had issues with, you know, port congestion. They had issues with the Texas, you know, winter storm, with rising freight costs, with uh, securing enough uh, packaging. Um, you know, there you're looking at a graphic of the outbound tender volume index in blue um, for Dallas, Texas, and outbound tender rejection rate for Dallas, Texas. So in blue is a, is a measure of demand for 
transportation uh, services. And in green is the measure of relative transportation capacity. When that green line goes up, it means that it's tight. It means that shippers are having a harder time uh, finding uh, you know, trucks to, to haul their freight. And, and you see what happened in, in late February in, 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 in Dallas. Um, you know, both of those things shot up and it really has not um, you know, corrected to, to, to where it was. And, and really that's true of a lot of states um, you know, as, as well. So, um, but, but what, what was also, you know, striking with, with, um, you know, L'Oreal's comments on their supply chain is that these issues have been really primarily concentrated in the U S I mean, outside of the U S they really haven't had this in the same degree of, of, of issues. And then, you know, of course, all of these things have led to the stockouts, um, to, uh, you know, certain products, you know, not being available. And, 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 and some of those are, are, are higher margin higher margin products. Another thing that um, you know, cosmetics companies you know, deal, are dealing with now is uh, refrigerated transportation, which is you know, at a premium. You know, when we look at our tender rejection rates, you, know, you think of a, a tight market as being you know, having a tender rejection rate of, of over 10%, whereas tender rejection rate in refrigerated market is uh, you know, 40, mid 40% and got up to be you know, over, over 50%. So um, you know, cosmetics you know, often uh, need to be refrigerated and it's very expensive freight sort of pound for pound and um, it's uh, it needs to be refrigerated because you know spoilage um, would be a, a big a big waste and, and just like just like electronics I sort of put uh, cosmetics in the same category as electronics where sometimes it's uh, under temperature control uh, just because it's you know, valuable and, um, you know, the, the shipper, the beneficial cargo owner just does not want to take the risk of, of it, of it spoiling, particularly if it's a, if it's a longer, um, you know, length of haul. So L'Oreal, um, you know, let me know if you're on board with the, the upcoming, you know, global, uh, makeup party, uh, moving on to Pepsi. So Pepsi, I think is a, a company, you know, everyone's familiar with, uh, they own Gatorade, they own Quaker Oats, they own Frito-Lay, you know, Monster Energy Drink. They own, um, you know, they, they do, if you ever heard of Starbucks that comes in a pre-made, uh, you know, container like a, you know, glass frappuccino or double shot, you know, that's actually a Pepsi product. Um, so their performance was mixed during the, during the pandemic, you know, unlike a lot of other CPG companies, some CPG companies were unequivocally helped by the pandemic, people staying at home, uh, eating more at home. Others were hurt like Coca-Cola, which does a lot of business, you know, when people go outside of the home, but it was, it was mixed for Pepsi. They had, you know, components of both of those things. I think the, the, the drink business was hurt by people staying home, but I think the snacks business and, you know, Quaker Oats, um, you know, benefited from people, you know, staying home and you know, eating breakfast at home and snacking more. And sort of my, one of my main takeaways from, from their earnings was that, you know, people haven't, aren't yet willing to give up their snacks. So the, the Frito-Lay business, uh, you know, snacks are still up 3% year over year. Quaker Oats might be beginning to slow their revenue in that segment. It was only up one percent, you know, year over year. It'll be interesting to see if that um, you know, goes negative in uh, in, the, in the coming uh, the coming months. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is 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 most interesting um, you know, during that earnings report is there was one analyst I thought asked a really astute question. Um, you know, he asked you know Pepsi about their um, you know inflationary pressure. And that's you know a topic I've talked a lot about, but they asked you know specifically if Pepsi will have a competitive advantage in the inflationary environment, given that in past cycles Pepsi has been more hedged on um, you know on their input costs than most other companies, and 
you know, if that's true, first of all, you know, was that true? And if it is true, does that mean there is likely to be more consolidation in the space where, you know, the inflationary pressure hurts other companies more than it hurts Pepsi? So Pepsi can acquire some of those, some of those weaker companies. And, you know, didn't talk about, you know, M&A as you would expect on a, on a, on an analyst call like that out of the blue, but um, did seem to agree with the premise that uh, they have what they call, um, you know, hedges that are structurally elongated, structurally elongated was the phrase they use. And so that means, you know, input costs rise that, you know, it's going to impair, you know, pressure uh, Pepsi's costs as well as in addition to everyone else's. It does take longer though for that to hit Pepsi's margins and their bottom line. And so that does give them a competitive advantage, you know, near term. So it seems like of the companies um, that I've talked about of the CPG companies, this has been one of the ones that's been sort of the most, you know, prepared um, you know, for this type of uh, this type of inflationary um, you know, environment, they also added that no commodity um, you know accounts for more than ten percent of exposure, which is something that you worry about with soft drink makers. You know, you think about you know the price of corn has really skyrocketed, and they they use a lot of you know corn syrup, um, you know other you know types of uh, you know ingredients have also have also risen. I mean, and some of the you know CPG companies like General Mills, I mean, they've they've said that. Inflation is completely across the board. There really isn't any, you know, ingredients or input that is is down, and that includes things like, you know, packaging. But um, so all, all those things considered, I all those things considered, I thought that um, you know the company's outlook for 2021 was 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 solid. They said you know mid single digit organic revenue growth and high single digit earnings growth. And so with earnings growing faster than revenue, that implies there's not going to be any margin pressure. In fact, you could have uh, actually, an increase in, in 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 margin, and then another thing that could support their margin growth is an increase in the single serving beverages. So, the think of things that you pick up at a convenience store or gas station. That's you know just one bottle of of, of Pepsi. Those are some of their higher margin uh, higher margin products. So um, they seem to be in in pretty good shape. And as far as their supply chains uh, go. Those are back to normal. They did struggle with the, the winter storm in, um, in, in in Texas. They have a lot of uh, manufacturing and distribution uh, facilities in uh, in the South, um, but most of those they said are pretty close to being uh, you know up and running and and and, and back to and back to normal. So um, you know things in general going well for uh, you know Pepsi. I would say in addition to in addition to L'Oreal, and and we'll see um, what happens with those IPOs. Um, but that's really you know what I wanted to go over this week. You know, next time um, I'm going to dig deeper into you know some of the carriers' uh, results to give you a sense for how they're doing. And uh, did see that Martin Transportation uh, just reported that's the biggest, uh, or at least the the only publicly traded reefer carrier. There's some some, some ones that are that size or, or larger on the on the um, you know, private private side, but um, you know, that gives you sort of a unique insight because it's the only public carrier that specializes in, uh, in refrigerated. So I can talk about that you know, next week. Um, if you would like to get my um, twice-weekly newsletter, uh, please go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout, and uh, please sign up for that. And uh, that'll give you my contact information and um, feel free to drop me a, a line anytime um, if you have uh, things you want me to, to discuss. Um, but I uh, hope everyone has a good Friday and uh, that's all from me. Thank you.